This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung, and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and that colonisation and dispossession are both ongoing processes. This episode of the ERRR podcast is brought to you by John Cat Educational, and this month we're highlighting the new book, Learning Walkthroughs, Students and Parents Better Learning Step by Step, by Tom Sherrington and Oliver Caviglioli. This book is both a guide to students on how humans learn and how to study effectively, designed to help them make the most of their time at school, as well as being designed as a guide for parents to do a better job in their role supporting their child's education. Sections of the book include how we learn, in the classroom, feedback and improvement, study habits and techniques, reading and writing, independent learning, and learning in subjects. You can get learning walkthroughs, students and parents via the John Cat website. That's where you can also find my two books, Cognitive Load Theory in Action and Tools for Teachers. Again, that's the John Cat website or via Woods Lane in Australia or on Amazon or other online booksellers. This episode of the ERRR podcast is brought to you by Catalyst, a project pioneered by Catholic education in the Archdiocese of Canberra and Goulburn. Catalyst is an evidence-based educational project that's working directly in schools and with teachers across the ACT and parts of New South Wales. Catalyst has its genesis in this podcast and is a structured and strategic approach to bringing the science of reading and the science of learning to life in more than a thousand classrooms. It's drawing on both local and international expertise, including several guests from the ERRR podcast, to realize the bold vision of transforming students' lives through learning by developing excellent teachers and leaders. If you'd like to find out more about opportunities at the Catalyst Project and Catholic education in Canberra, including the professional development that they're running, the way that they are engaging Australian and world leaders in evidence-based education, and even to explore employment opportunities, just click on the Catalyst logo or follow the link in the show notes. What truly matters is teachers' expertise. The most important tip for new teachers is to set out your boundaries. 44% of jobs will be automated it reinforces cycles of disadvantage. Hello listeners and lovers of learning and welcome to the Education Research Reading Room, the podcast that brings you into discussion with inspiring educators and education researchers. I'm Ollie Lovell and it's a pleasure to be your host in the ERRR. This episode, we're speaking with Gwyn App-Harry. Gwyn is the CEO of XP School Trust, a group of schools in the UK designed to support its students to express who they are through their work. Gwyn is also the CEO of Real Smart, an edtech company that empowers users to learn more and learn it faster. I first came across the work of XP via the YouTube film, Above All, Compassion. I've linked to this in the show notes, and if you haven't watched it already, I highly recommend it. Following that, I visited XP twice in 2022 because I just couldn't get enough, and I was blown away by the number of things that they do really well, but particularly by how students could talk about their project work and about the school's conscious approach to building crew and strong relationships between students and teachers. And off the back of that, I actually interviewed Gwyn in episode 70 of the ERRR podcast whilst I was at XP school, which I absolutely loved. It was a bit of an impromptu podcast, just as this one has been too. Speaking of that, this episode of the ERRR podcast is a little bit different, and that's because in this episode, Gwyn shares some of the challenges that XP has faced in the process of scaling up and talks to us about how he and the XP team are going about overcoming those challenges. 
As such, this episode is a pretty unique opportunity to hear from a school leader bearing all and honestly sharing the challenges of running a school and a trust of schools and how we can think about putting in place systems and crucially principles to avoid similar challenges in future. I'm extremely grateful to Gwyn for coming on and for his courage in willing to share at this sensitive time in XP's development. Also, if you're keen for a weekly dose of educational insight, stimulation, and resources, you might like my EdThreads newsletter. Each week, I share with subscribers all of the juiciest education tidbits that I've collected over the week, wrapped up in an easy-to-digest email message. Join thousands of other teachers across the world and stay up to date with the most important ideas of education with this Friday afternoon message. To sign up, go to ollilovell.com forward slash subscribe. That's ollilovell.com forward slash subscribe. Now, without further ado, let's jump straight into this episode of the ERRR podcast. Gwyn Harry, welcome to the Education Research Reading Room. How are you doing, Ali? Very well, thanks, mate. Um, I wanted to start by just thanking you for coming on today because I know that uh, right now, in terms of the trajectory of XP and and also your, your impact on education, it's a bit of a, or you were kind of telling me before, before we we started rolling just now it's a bit of a vulnerable time and so I did want to acknowledge that's a a bit of a different way of kind of engaging with a podcast than people often do and so I thought that might be a nice place to start like what what made you want to have a chat with me today and also be open to kind of um, sharing some of your your thought processes and where you're at uh, on a podcast? Um, Well one because I trust you Um, two because I think it's a really important point in our history. And uh, I think that when you talk from a point of vulnerability, you talk authentically. Uh, and and I think uh, a lot of people find value in the authenticism of um, a moment. Um, and I, I wanted to share my battles and we've always been honest and open uh but but a lot of the time the sort of output that comes from xp is is quite uh nice and shiny and and sort of uh, an instagram type uh you know view of the world and uh uh, yeah we've we've uh had some uh, tough struggles and fights and um you know, I want to, sh- I want to share my scars, you know? Um, so there you go. I think that something, there's some reason, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks so much, Gwyn. And that is like super brave and open of you. And I think kind of exemplifies the, the XP ideal as well. And you're kind of really leading from the front. And I guess it's the kind of way that you'd want your own students to approach learning. So it's uh, phenomenal that you as the or one of the co-founders of the school um, are taking that approach as well. For those who haven't listened to the original podcast with Gwyn where we chatted about XP, in short, uh, I, I visited XP halfway through last year probably. I don't know. I'm losing track of the years now. Uh, but it was absolutely phenomenal, an amazing school, uh, modelled after in many many components of High Tech High. And some of you may have listened to my discussion with Jeff Robin. Uh, last episode and some of the things that really struck me about XP originally were just students passion for learning the phenomenal and beautiful work that was up around the school as you kind of mentioned um, there Gwyn. Uh, A third thing was 
students' ability to talk about their learning. So we were taken around by a a number of students and they kind of, they could, they could really sketch out their whole learning journey from, you know, we were speaking to year nine or 10 students. They were like, in year seven, we did this project and this project and here's, here's this artifact and this artifact and here's my learning uh, diary or portfolio and, and so on and so forth was amazing and the other thing that really struck me and that has has really stuck with me was the approach to building community uh and culture through the kind of crew approach going out on doing outdoor education and things like that um and so there were many things and and i've often thought about many components of xp that i I would want to take into any school um that i contribute to in the future so I, i also wanted to start there and acknowledge like the amazing school that i saw when i visited xp um and that's an and, and if people haven't listened to that original podcast discussion with us, which I think was potentially episode seventy, I would encourage them to go back and have a listen, just have a bit more of a background on this this discussion today. Uh, but I guess as a way to kind of start us off, it's it was interesting when you emailed me. It was off the back of another correspondence about my recent podcast with Jeff. But you said you were interested in having coming on to talk about, and you said potentially the title of this podcast could be something like how we built one of the best schools in the world, how it broke, and how we are fixing it. Um, <laughs> so maybe I'll just leave that out there, Gwyn. And yeah. do you want to uh, talk a little bit too, uh, yeah, how you did build one of the best schools in the world, uh, but then also what made you say that, that the XP broke and, and leading into how we're fixing it? And this is really a very, very broad, broad prompt to just start us off and you can kind of um, fill me and listeners in a little bit and we can um, pull on specific strings um, to kind of unpack it a little bit as we go. Uh, yeah, okay. So in 2014, we created our school XP, 50 kids, four teachers, yeah? And then the next year we had 100 kids, eight teachers, so we doubled in size. Uh, year after that, 150 kids, probably 12 teachers, 12, 13 teachers. And um, in the third year, uh, we also opened another school right next to it, XP East, uh, with another 50 kids and four teachers. And we took on our first existing primary school, Green Top Primary School, um, with 400 kids. Um, and now... Coming into approaching our 10th year, we have eight schools um, with our newest school in Gateshead uh, near Newcastle, uh, who are now into their third year. Um, so I don't, know if any, I don't know if people would call that rapid a- expansion or scaling. Uh, I mean, it's all relative, isn't it? I mean, uh, expeditionary learning in America are, uh, have 160 schools and people uh, tell them when are you going to go to scale because <laughs> America's so big. Um, but we um, we basically suffered the effects of scale um, without really understanding what scale did, what it broke, and how to fix those things. Uh, m- much like most organisations. Uh, to be honest, um, and we didn't recognise these things because our foundations of our school are so strong, uh, crew and expeditions, that to the outsider, to somebody coming in, it's an extraordinary school, and and we have visitors, still have visitors here, and uh, you know we have had 
almost 2,000 visitors since lockdown. Um, uh, we came out of lockdown. Uh, and that none of those visitors would ever describe our schools as being broken. They'd describe them as being, like you said, wonderful. Kids talk, they do exp- these amazing, this amazing work, this amazing expeditions and this, that, and the other. Um, but wanting to be the best school or one of the best schools in the world, it, it, you know, it's not an ego thing. It's an aspiration. It's, it's, you know, how can we look out on the world and see the great practice and how can we be at the forefront of that? And, um, we were always, I don't know if you've read Jim Collins, uh, from good to great. He talks about the, the, the genius of the and versus the tyranny of the or. Um, we wanted crew and expeditions and great teaching and great uh, academic results. And in the first uh, five years, that's what we got. Um, throughout lockdown, that's what we had. And uh, But coming out of lockdown, we did not get uh, great academic results. In fact, we got really, really poor academic results. Um, and while we've got slightly better results this year, it's just nowhere near where we want it to be. Uh, Ollie, your uh, screen's just dro- dropped out. Is that are, are you all right with that? Are you I'm still, still here? Yep, I'm just, you're yeah. coming through loud okay. and clear. Uh, I'll carry on. Um, yeah, just what? It, nowhere near where we wanted it to be, and we had to understand what had happened and why that had happened. And uh, well, you know, another business book, a great business book, Radical Candor by Kim Scott, um, talks about ruinous empathy. And uh, unfortunately, that's what we'd fallen into. Um, You know, we care about the kids, so we did not push them. Um, We care about our adults, so we did not push them. Um, And when we say push, for me, I, I mean we support and robustly challenge and 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 for us that that is what crew is this crew isn't just huddling up like uh, uh a bunch of hippies saying we love each other and the world brilliant uh crew is supporting and challenging uh creating rigorous accountability and when i honestly looked into that and uh looked at the leadership structures that we had um it, it wasn't there Accountability had been broken. Uh, responsibility had been lost. Um, and people had fallen back into, I'm not going to use the word default because d- default means that you're always fighting against th- th- this. There's this a, na- there's a natural default, but I'm, I'll talk about tendencies and the, the, the tendencies of m- most people, um, as teachers, would be to do the easiest thing, and and that is to turn up, talk at kids, take the check, and go home. Um, so, and we we needed more than that. We we needed much more energy. The 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 work that we do is much harder than than that. Um, and so I was looking at this and wondering why, and at the same time. I was having struggles with some of the people next to me um, and the way they were leading and the way I could see them lead 
and knowing it was wrong, but thinking that they're just new into the post and that they're a bit naive about it and that they'll, they'll learn and they'll, they'll come through. Uh, and, and it, it took a realization maybe where are we were in December now. So, um, let me just work this out. September, September, six months. So maybe two years ago now, uh, I realized that the style of leadership of some of the people next to me wasn't just naivety. It was by design. Uh, and that it was the total opposite of my style of leadership. And so I tried to help them. Uh, so I started writing things down, um, tried to coach them through these different things until I realized that they couldn't be coached and they were stuck in this, uh, power paradigm. And, uh, and so we had to part ways. Um, and that was really, that was really tough because of what they'd put in place. Um, and also because of my, uh, position in my life. I have two boys. Uh, uh, one, Jack, is at, at your university doing, uh, theoretical physics, not just physics, not just hard physics, but really, really hard physics, theoretical physics. Um, and another boy, Dylan, who's doing his A levels, who in, uh, you know, 18 months time, he'll be at university. So going back, back in time, me and my wife, Kate, had what we called a three year project a three-year project, which was to hand over the keys to XP to create a succession, a plan for succession. Um, because I feel that if I'm still the CEO, when I retire, I failed. Uh, you know, I, I, XP needs to uh, stand on its own two feet as a community and, and, and carry on. And that's still my aim. Um, but I thought I'd found the right person and, um, so I was transitioning out, uh, and I'd let go of a lot of things in order to empower, um, uh, this person. Um, and I, I, you know, I'd even changed my name. I wasn't the CEO anymore. I was the uh, chief design officer. Um, and I, I, I didn't have an idea of what I was going to do, uh, next, but I just thought that me and my wife had, Maybe one more adventure in us. Um, uh, but, but that transition did not work out. And, uh, it's, it, it, it didn't work out because of power. Um, and I had to figure out what that was. It was, this was my, uh, this was my Rubik cube, Ollie. Uh, you know, I, I, I had to work out what the problem was. What was I seeing? And, uh, you were a lot of the time you hope, um, that you're not actually seeing what you think you're seeing. Um, you don't want to see it. Um, but when that's the only thing left, uh, that's the truth. And you have to stare into the abyss and you've got to let the abyss stare back at you. And, uh, you've got to deal with reality and not perception. Um, and so that's what we've, that's, that's what we've done. And, um, since 
the end of February last year, I've considered that to be, uh, well, in uh, March as being my first day as CEO <laughs> of uh, XP. Because a, a lot of people think that I've, I've been the CEO forever. Uh, most, most people think that, you know, what's happening now is what has always happened. Uh, that's how they perceive the world. Um, but when uh, I, because of so much, so many things had happened, I, I, I could only cope with it if I said, right, this is a new job. Uh, so beginning of March, uh, that's my first day as CEO. Because when, when we started XP, I was not a CEO. I was the chair of governors. I was a, I was unpaid, uh, volunteer for the first, I think, year, year and a half. Um, um, and then as we created things, we became, I became the CEO. Uh, I, I was never looking after the primary schools that, that was always the person that was, I, I was coaching to succeed me. Um, it, uh, they were looking after the primary schools. So I didn't really have that bigger connection with the primary schools. And here I am, uh, um, uh, March 2023. And I've got to look after five primary schools. And, uh, you know, when I go into early years, I like, I don't know what I'm even looking at. You know, I'm trying to shake the kids off my legs, you know, <laughs> trying not to make them cry. Uh, so I've had, had to do a lot of learning about that and a lot of building relationships. So I didn't have really great, strong relationships with the, with the head teachers of our primary schools, for instance. Um, and, but the, the, the sort of hardest part of this puzzle was that the leadership style, uh, and we can go into what that looks like, uh, uh, of the, 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 some of the people next to me, um, was, was one of wielding power. And to do that, they used a very simple uh, approach of divide and conquer, of separation. And so me and Andy uh, have found ourselves uh, separated from the culture and the organizations and the people that we'd cultivated very carefully and, and built from the ground up. Um, and that's where we were in. March in in March I had I had to run or re, re, figure out how to rerun or work out how to rerun um, eight schools uh, five primary schools of which the relationships of the heads I did not really have much uh, of an inroad in and uh, two schools in Doncaster at least that we felt incredibly separated uh, from and. No one has, would see that from the outside. Um, we were still getting visitors and, and I was doing keynotes and we were talking about this and, and, I, and people who saw, who've seen my recent keynotes will know that I've been incredibly honest about, um, leadership and stuff like that and, and, and how we, we failed. I mean, I'm going to say that we had a catastrophic failure in leadership. It's a, it's a, it's a, you've covered a lot there, Gwen. Um, and also I just want to thank and acknowledge you for your honesty already. I mean, you know, so many people who kind of found organizations, schools, whatever it might be, all of the incentives are to, you know, 
keep on talking about how everything's going great, right? And to actually yeah. come out and, and you know, uh, voluntarily make a space and make a platform to share how things, you know, aren't going as you would like them to and, and to explore the path the paths that have been taken and the ones that you will be taking in future is um is amazing. Now I guess a first step in that for anyone in an organization that's kind of struggling a bit is kind of coming to the a recognition of reality. And you talked about staring to the abyss and having a stare back at you. Um I was interested to kind of delve into that a little bit you talked about uh the word you used was failures and catastrophic failure in one context at in terms of the school but also at the leadership level and obviously they're intimately linked but i'm interested to know like if you remember the day or the point or exactly what it was that made you go oh the school's failing or the schools are failing and similarly oh this leadership it's past the point of no return yeah, it's a good question. So, so just for clarity, um, it's I don't believe the schools are fail. I don't believe the schools are failing. It's the it was the leadership of the schools, um, and like the, um, now that some of the primary schools, the the primary schools that that are going are, are working fantastically. Um, the 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 biggest hit was. Um, XP, the campus at XP in Doncaster, and we've we we realised even before this that we'd not got leadership development right, and I, I don't know whether I spoke to you about that, Ollie, before, but when when we started XP, me and Andy got uh, the leadership structure wrong. Uh, we we tried to run it as flat as possible, uh, with almost no leadership uh by creating little uh task and finish groups but to learn how to lead you need to lead something and so people were leading something for maybe a term and then not um and while it seemed good and fast and agile and uh and all this that our staff weren't weren't learning uh, the hard lessons of of leadership and holding people to account, um, and that went through our first transition from uh, and Andy stepping back from the two Doncaster schools to having um, Martin and Jamie um, run XP and XP East, and that uh, the Martin and Jamie still work work for us. Um, Martin's up in Gateshead. Uh, Jamie's still down here helping us. Two of the best teachers I've ever witnessed. It's like having Ronaldo and Messi on the same team, if you get that uh, uh, reference. Um, uh, and we didn't have that, that support structure, the hierarchical um, leadership structure in place for them. And so that didn't, that didn't work out. Uh, we put in a hierarchical leadership structure for Jamie, but not the coaching element. So it sort of created separation between the leadership team and the teachers, uh, and it became a bit overwhelming. Um, and so then we brought in uh, uh, Clara, uh, who is now our principal at XP Doncaster, uh, who has an amazing story. Uh, she was an early years teacher 
you know, uh, foundation stage nursery teacher who's now running uh, our secondary schools. She's a very, very smart, very, very smart lady. Um, and yet still, you know, no experience of secondary. So we have to support and help her. When you're separated, you can't do that. Um, uh, so now we're basically putting all that back together again. But coming back to your point, when 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 did I realise it? Uh, you, you, you've, I guess you've heard of the metaphor of uh, um, how to boil a frog. Yep, yeah, most definitely. Yep. <laughs> right. So you don't boil, you don't you don't chuck a frog into a boiling hot pan of water because it'll just jump out. You put them in cold water and then slowly warm them up. So it didn't hit me straight away. I saw things and then interpreted things, you know. So I, I can go back. I can go back as far as just coming the the year just coming out of lockdown, September when we came back. Uh, I can see in my emails that I spotted some things, but it wasn't. Oh, this is a catas- catastrophic failure in leadership. This is oh, someone's just making a naive mistake. And then other things happened. Little bits, little bits, little bits. And um, I was in, actually, this sounds quite grand, this story from a, for a boy from Doncaster, but I was in New York with a friend of mine, an Australian uh, called Paul, and we were just visiting lots of expeditionary learning schools. We'd done a little tour of, Austra- of, of America. And we were in a bar in New York. And I won't go into the specific thing that happened, but I was looking at Paul and I was going, um, something's happening in Doncaster. And I think that it's, it's, it's a bad thing that's happening. And, and I think that people are making decisions and really poor decisions because I'm here in America. And what, what, why are they doing that? They know I'm coming back in like five days. And my brain just said, they wouldn't do that. That'd be so stupid. That'd be ridiculous. No one would do that. And you see things and you can't interpret them because it's, it, it, it just looks very stupid to you. But, but, and these people aren't stupid, right? And, and they were nice, kind people out, you know, uh, uh, we'd have, we'd, we'd have, personal moments with them, we'd share family moments with them. Um, and I can describe those moments now, but then it was just, no, nah, it must be something else. It can't be what I'm seeing. It must be something else because it just seemed so stupid. But now I'll say this, stupidity and arrogance look exactly the same. Like, you just think about your politicians they're not stupid people. You know, most, most people that they, they, most of them have gone to universities and got degrees. You know, that's, you know, look in, in England, Liz Truss, for instance, been ridiculed by the press, uh, and, uh, making silly decisions. Well, she's got a first degree at, from Cambridge or Oxford or something. She's not unintelligent. Um, but. When you have an ego, when you when you make decisions based on fear and ego and arrogance, it looks exactly the same as stupidity. Um, and 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 that's what I was seeing 
uh, I was seeing decisions based on ego and fear and not realizing that that's where these decisions were coming from um, and trying to make excuses uh, for, for them. So I, what did I do? Well, I tried to help them. So I started writing down things that I thought were absolutely obvious that, and that I, I don't know why I'm writing things down. In fact, when I've shown it to other people, they've said, I can't believe you thought that you needed to write these things down, Gwyn. Um, but I did and I had to go through it and I had pushback about certain things about how we deal with people, how we speak with people how we empower rather than wield power. Um, and I, I realized that most people don't, don't do that. I, most people, when they first get a leadership role, they em- try to wield power. They try to, the, the quickest way of getting someone to do something is by telling them what to do, not why they should do it. Um, and my version of leadership was always starting with why we do things, starting with purpose. And and, and often to the detriment, actually, like I've, I have changed my tack because some people just uh, question uh, a lot of purpose. And, you know, I'm a bit far gone now, I'm a bit too long in the tooth to go to, to think, I, ne- I really need to convince this 20-year-old uh, that I know what I'm talking about, you know, uh, I'm 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 not that bothered about it. It's either right. This is why we do it, and I can talk about we can talk about the why. But if you just don't get it, that's okay. You know, you can uh, bloom in another school, as we as, as we call it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want the people who share uh, the why with me, share the purpose with me. Mm-hmm. Um. So when when you talk about the moment when it's like irretrievable, I. I'll take a, a line from Simon Sinek again, um, a, a, a leader in business, uh, you know, in uh, leadership thought. Um, it's can they be coached? And if they can't be coached, it's time. Hmm. Um, and yeah, we we got to that point where they obviously wouldn't listen, uh, acting independently. Um, Totally, the relationship totally broken down, and so yeah, that's it. Um, I mean, Ollie, it was messy and it was really tough. Uh, um, it's. I wish it was as simple as you know. Oh, what? So what I did was I got up every morning and I thought, yes, let's coach these people. Uh, great. And then one day I woke up and realised, oh, they can't be coached, so they left. <laughs> it, it was no, nah, it was messy. Uh, and not and not nice, um, but but I'll tell you this right, and I I want to say this because this is something that I'm really proud of, is we had a top heavy executive team, executive leadership team. Uh, now it's basically just me and Andy again, basically, um, but we four people left the executive team. And I stood in front of our directors and they said, okay, yeah, we back you, Gwyn, uh, but what, how are you going to replace them? 
what are you going to do? And I, I stood in front of them and I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to replace them with nobody and we're going to perform better because of their absence. That, that was pretty tough and hard, uh, to say because I had to hold the courage of my convictions that that would work. Um, and we have replaced them with nobody. Four people, uh, highly paid. So with all the tax and on costs, half a million pounds a year. Um, and all I've done is empower the people who should have been empowered, who had been disempowered. And we are performing way better than we were in March last year. That's great, mate. That's fantastic. There's one particular thing you said there that I think is kind of key to the identification of when things are kind of going south. You talked about the challenge that, uh, you know, stupidity and malice or stupidity and ego look exactly the same often and it's really hard to to tell the difference. Uh, Listeners may have heard of Hanlon's razor, which is an adage that suggests that we should never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity, Um, which is in most cases a good rule of thumb to go by, right? But what you've been highlighting here is that, well, actually, sometimes the key is identifying when we should attribute to malice or to ego uh, or to a, a desire of power that which can reasonably be attributed to stupidity. So I'm wondering, through this process, what have you learned about spotting the difference between when something comes from malice versus stupidity that others in a similar situation may be able to use um, to do so slightly earlier if possible? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, So I started writing those things down. I started writing down what those things look like uh and uh it's this is slightly disappointing because i i'd like to see the world in a big spectrum of different flavors and colors and and there's lots of books out there on there's thousands and thousands of books about on on leadership and different styles of leadership and i, I don't believe any of them i think there's just two i think there's uh, in fact i think there's just one and the other things shouldn't be called leadership so we we call it empower empowered leadership, and that's the leadership that's espoused by people like Simon Sinek, Kim Scott, Adam Grant, uh, you know, other, uh, people like that. Um, Turn the ship around, guy. I'm just reading his book. Um, um, uh, the legacy, you know, the uh, book on mm-hmm. New Zealand uh, All Blacks. Uh, they they yep. espouse they espouse a uh, a leadership style of empowerment and humility, um, but most people wield power to lead, hmm. uh, and and it's really black and white. It's really binary, and and it's not uh, it's it's contextual. So in some contexts, some people might empower, and in other contexts, they might wield power. But it's generally one or one or the other. Um, so to and to spot it, like, oh, it's so easy for me to see it now. It's like it's like uh, it, 
it's a curse as well. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> oh no, right. I see you. I see what you're doing here. And it's based on fear and ego. Yeah. What fear looks like, what ego looks like, yet they feed on each other. So fear, uh, looks like entropy, like, um, like losing, not doing things. Yeah. So, so going back to your tendencies, doing the easy thing. And, and it's fear is also linked to the aspect that most people can't imagine the future. They can't imagine the consequence of, or the consequences of what a decision, if they make a decision now, what might happen in the future because they're just focused on doing things, getting things done. And I, so I, I call I call it expert leadership. And, and you see me doing air quotes here because I have no problem with experts. I love experts. But when people think they're experts and they act as an expert out of um, fear of being found out that they're not, um, they make really poor, really poor decisions. Uh, so... Um, you know, I, 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 I'll, I'll actually share a, d a document with you and it lists on one side, it lists, this is what, uh, the expert leader looks like. And this is what on the other side. And I call this and this, uh, I need a snappier title. Um, but the, I call these other people relational problem solvers. Uh, and I can go deep, deeper into that, but they use, they empower people. They, they, empower people to solve problems uh whereas the other people tell them what to do hmm. um and it's quite it, it's quite it's quite black and white so um the, the 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 people who i call leaders uh spend time we get get this right there's like I, whenever i say it it's like it sounds weird because it's so obvious right the the people who empower honor problems with time to figure things out right they go hmm let's take some time to think about this problem let's work it out together and then let's let's figure out a consensus and commit to that consensus the other type of leader says do this because i know best do that because it worked for me last time and when it goes wrong it's your fault when it goes right, it's my fault. It's my it's my success, right? We all know those people, right? It's funny when I talk through the list of what it looks like, uh, everyone starts smiling and laughing because you know they're thinking about people. And when I'm doing this in a keynote, you can see the people sat on the table who know each other, who look at each other, and know they're thinking about the same person, right? And I'm like, so I won't call them leaders. I'd call them something else. Like everybody calls them, you can choose your words, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and 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 yet, that's how most that's how most people lead, and most people aren't bad people. Most people just don't know how and uh, and feel uncomfortable being vulnerable. They feel they think uh, showing humility is a sign of weakness, right? And, and, and it's, it's natural because our, we're built, human beings are built to, 
to, to stay safe, not be successful. And, and often, often feeling safe and becoming successful are, are the opposite things. And, and often the, mm. the way to become successful is counterintuitive. Most people would not think of doing it that way. Um, you know, like people talk about being in control. I, 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 I'll, I'll empower people, but I, I need to be in control. Well, being in control don't even exist. It's a, it's a social construct. It's, it's fe- feeling in control is feeling safe, thinking that you know what other people are doing. You're never in control. Like I could, I could go to school this morning and all the parents and kids could decide not to turn up, you know, they're just, but hopefully most days they do. <laughs> most days they turn up, but they don't have to. Um, so a lot of these things go really deep into the sort of human psyche. But well, when I say deep, I don't mean complex. I mean, really simple. This desire to feel safe is what stops us from doing the right thing. Uh, parenthood, Ollie, right? Do the easy thing now and you'll pay for it in a few years t- to come. Yeah. Do the hard thing now and parenting will be easy, easier. You know, <laughs> the, uh, the first 30 years are the hardest, right? <laughs> uh, but you know, um, uh, uh, yeah, but, People would describe me as a parent that, that people would say that I was quite strict as a parent. Uh, but it wasn't, I wasn't strict as in what they could and couldn't do. It was just boundaries of doing what only do unto others what you would want done to yourself. And that was mm. it. And that was a line that the kids could not cross. Mm. Um, yeah. that's great. So, I mean, the, the, the question that prompted that was, you know, what have you, what have you learned about spotting? the difference between um, stuff coming from malice and stupidity. And w- one thing you took there I, really struck me, which was, you know, relational problem solvers, which interestingly is exactly what uh, Vivian Robinson calls it as well, a researcher from New Zealand who's done a lot of work on re- on leadership. So oh, you uh, independently really? come up with the same term for the same, uh, very, very similar concept. Oh, I thought of it much earlier than her. <laughs> <laughs> than Vivian. All right, no, all right. No, that's brilliant. I'd love to, I'd, I'd love uh, to find out about her work. That, wow, great. Yeah, I'll, I'll, set, I'll send you through some. Um, uh, relational problem solvers, you know, honour problems with time to figure them out. Is there anything else on that list that that listeners might be interested in in terms of like hallmarks of of relational problem solvers? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, spotting expert leaders, uh, the way I'd call it, is is uh, often the relational problem solvers, they, they just do the opposite. Uh, it's literally doing the opposite. Um, um, but, but one of the things that I would say about spotting problems is that um, fail, failure, if you want to call it that, um, often comes in twos. Right. So that, so there's, think about, think about a teacher. Yeah. You often you'd walk into a classroom and you see a teacher and you straight away, you can say, ah, this, then this isn't working. Yeah. But, but my saying is, well, failure often comes in twos. Uh, and this is how you spot a failure in leadership because, uh, there's one thing being able to see the obvious of people not being able to do something, but then there's, 
then, then there's the leader who's allowing it to happen. Uh, and, and that was a real, uh, eye opener, uh, for me is that, uh, that, that there's a spot. Um, you know, it's like you, you, you'll see the obvious thing, but do you see the not so obvious thing? I've, I've seen uh, people do that. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the relational problem solver, um, builds, builds a team. Uh, they live and die together so it's crew we'd call that crew a teamwork approach to to school culture or any any kind of culture um that that there's no such thing as right or wrong when you solve a problem together right it, like some people some people are scared of getting it right or getting it wrong so they 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 do the work and they polish the work and they give you that work as a fait accompli um we don't want that. We want unfinished work. We want to collaborate and we want to critique and we want to come to the a consensus uh, together. When 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 you solve problems together, it, it, there's no such thing as right or wrong. It's either well, could we have done that better, um, uh, or that went really well. And so it's a joint success or joint failure. Um, we either get to the top of the mountain or we don't. Mm. Uh, and and so th- th- this is where there's that opposite, Ollie. Right. So so if you're scared of failure, right, you you tend to do the work yourself on your own, and then and then offer it as a fait accompli, right. But the way to never get things right or wrong is to do things together, which is the opposite of doing it on your own. Mm. Um. Like almost all aspects of uh, wielding power compared with empowering are the opposites and often the counterintuitive. Often the, the empowered leader does things that is counterintuitive to most people um, until you figure out the problem. So, and there's loads of, there's loads of examples in like the, in the, in the real world, like just, uh, examples of how we spent time to figure things out. So I don't, I don't know if you're a driver, Ollie. I don't, have you heard of the, um, um, what's it called? The racing line. No. Yeah. Did you say, yeah, no? No, I haven't come across the idea of racing lines. Ah, uh, okay. So. So I've done this, uh, this might not work, but I've done this in keynotes, but I basically said, who, who's heard of the racing line? Right. Who hasn't? Right. And then I asked someone who hasn't heard of the racing line and I said, okay, great. You're in a go-kart. Uh, you're going fast and you're going around a corner. What's the fastest way to get around the corner? Okay. Uh, well, I, I don't know if I've heard of a racing line in that terminology, but I think I know that you start, you need to go wide to, to cut in tight later. Is that, right. is that what you're getting at? That's the, that's the racing line, yeah? But most people would say, well, you need to be, if you're turning right, you need to be tight to the right and hold hold the corner uh, uh, round tight because that's the shortest way round the corner, right? So without, without thinking about the problem, most people would say uh, the fastest way round the corner is go tight to the right and go round the corner because that's the shortest path, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you spend time to figure it out, you say no. The fastest way round a corner is the is is the route where you lose less speed. So you swing out wide to the left. 
that's counterintuitive. And then you hit the apex and you go out wide as well. And unless you do it, unless you feel it, you, you, some, some people don't believe you. Um, it's not, it's, it's not what you think. And most, if you watch most people getting into a go kart and going round a track, that is what they will do. They will, they will try and go around and then that, and, and this is that, this, this comes back to this idea of impactivity of doing less and having more impact, right? You, you t- it takes more energy. So you imagine you're going around the go kart and, uh, go kart to the right and you're holding onto your steering wheel. I don't know if you've ever done it and you try and hold to the, to the curve and your hands are shaking and it's taking oh, and you get out and you've actually slowed down and everyone's gone past you. Hmm. And you wonder how that's happened. And yet, go swinging out to the left, and then it's about being smooth, right? Swinging out to the left and smoothly going into the apex takes less energy, and it has more impact. And it, just that that one thing, I can give you loads of different examples of counterintuitive uh, uh, examples of that takes less energy and has, has more impact. Um, and that's um, that's empowering. Spending time to figure it out rather than just doing it because you think you know what's right. Mm. Uh, yeah, and and you can see you, you can see that in people. People who make snap decisions. Uh, people who uh, just tell people what to do. Just do this, right? Just do this. And and you know you can you can relate that to teaching as well. You know. Um, you and I sat next to, next to someone who said, no, just tell them what to do. The why can come later, right? And it can, right, if all you want to do is get kids to pass standards-based tests. That mm-hmm. is the fastest, quickest way of getting kids to pass standards-based tests is tell them what to do, yeah? But if you don't tell, if you don't tell them why they should do it, that knowledge will dissipate and go in later life. Or whenever, mm. uh, and that the the purpose is lost, mm. um, um, and 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 so that that the same thing is 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 mirrored uh, throughout life. Um, but yeah, relational problem solvers look at the relationship between things. It's really interesting. Ollie, I can talk about this for ages. I don't know. You're all right. Like. Yeah, mate, you. it's 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 interesting. I mean, I've got lots of threads to pull on, but keep keep going, and then I'll uh, then I'll pull the next one. Okay, so this is this is the way relational problem solvers are different. Is it's that most people see the world as entities, things that have attributes uh, based on them. So let's take kids, right? You can think of a kid, you can describe a kid, and you can give them attributes. So the kid that you taught. Uh, let's say it's called Ollie and I taught, I taught this kid, Ollie, uh, computing. And I could say, Ollie, uh, he always turned up on time. He was really enthusiastic. Uh, he led his own learning. He, he, he pushed for excellence, always did his homework on time. Absolutely brilliant. And then you could get the PE teacher who'd say he never turned up on time. He always came unequipped, uh, didn't try, um, you know, was lazy, disinterested. Uh, and, and it, we're talking about the same kid. Um, so the, 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 the thing is, is that the world isn't full of 
while it looks like the world's full of uh, objects or entities with attributes, it's actually everything's relational. So what I, the, the world I see, the Ollie that I see is different to the Ollie that the PE teacher sees because Ollie has a different relationship with PE as he does computer science. Um, Ollie has a different relationship between the relation, uh, a different relationship with the teacher of PE, with the teacher of computer science. And, and when you start looking at things in terms of relationships, a strange thing happened is that the problems that fall out are um, really simple when you look at when you try and solve relational problems. The, the the solutions are really simple, whereas when you look at uh, the how to solve problems with entities and attributes, the problems are really complex. Um, and and I think it's because the world isn't built like that um, from from quantum mechanics to big things, uh, you know, like the general theory of relativity. Yeah. There, there's a couple of themes that I'm seeing coming out so far. One is with this idea of relational problem solving, it really is about, from from what I can tell, bringing people along with you as, you know, contrib- contributors to the problem-solving process. And that relates to the idea of, you know, honouring the problem with time to actually solve it and building teams. Um, even what you said just then about, you know, seeing things as made up of relationships rather than entities, you know, the more people you have with their minds on the problem, the more as- or the more relationships you can probably spot that play into the problem so the better an idea you can have of how to, to solve the problem within that complex system of relationships that's really interesting and really accurate i think and it even plays into you know problem solving in the classroom if we think about um you know classroom or behavior management and getting students to to engage and uh and act appropriately and learn and and, and have fun as well um thinking about all the relationships that are occurring in that classroom is a absolutely fundamental factor to it as well and making time for those relationships and making time to explore them and, um, you know, dissect them and, and things like that is, yeah, makes makes a lot of sense, Gwyn. Um, yeah, just jumping into that, yeah, as well, it is the it is the genius of the and as well. So it's like um, when people say it's relationships, you know, like people say it's knowledge first, yeah, you could say, oh, no, it's relationships first. I, I don't agree with either of those statements, right? Because you, you you can't separate you can't separate them from things. So, like uh, uh, someone said, oh, I'm sick of hearing that you've got to build relationships with kids. What I do is just teach really good lessons. I'm like, great, because if you teach really good lessons, then your kids are going to build a great relationship with you. You know, yeah, yeah. So it's the genius of the and. It's not if you do you know what I mean. You can't separate the two. There's lots of false dichotomies here, mm-hmm. and and I, I know listening to Jeff Robbins' podcast with you, yeah, that you know, have I seen project based learning done badly? Yeah, absolutely. And what does Jeff Robbins say? Project based learning done badly is much worse than any other uh, type of teaching, right? Mm-hmm. He, he's not a namby pamby teacher. He wants the best of both worlds, uh, and that and and that's that's what we we want. You know, to build great relationships, you have to work purposefully with somebody. 
that you can't separate the two. You can't just, we could, you, uh, we could go out and have a coffee and talk about stuff and go, oh yeah, he's a really, really nice guy. I don't mean to say that we'll be able to work together properly. Yeah. We, you know, we, we build trusting relationships through purposeful work. You can't, you can't separate those things. Um, so it's, it's really, you know, it's really, it's the genius of the end. You can't, you, you can't explain the why without getting to, and this is what it looks like when you get it right. You know, you, you mm. can't, you can't do it. It's a waste of time. Both, mm. it's a waste of time doing, you know, working from both ends. You need, you need to get both. And that's why it's so difficult. That's why our work is really difficult because it's so easy to drop into ruinous empathy. To, to go, to, do, to take the, to do the easy way out. Yeah. Uh, like Kim, uh, Kim Scott in, uh, uh, Radical Candor says, you know, people would rather be told, um, the truth than, you know, the, the difficult truth. They'd rather be told the difficult truth than just be told, oh, I'll, you know, you're okay. I like you. Uh, you know, uh, and, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's where we slipped. You know, mm. yeah, couldn't agree more. One one thing you said there, I, I want to kind of contrast a few things. You said um, it's a contradiction when people say, you know, I want to empower, but I also want to be in control. Mm. Um, and something else that you've highlighted and you highlighted earlier is, you know, you felt like there were some challenges within the schools because, like, there was no accountability. Um, so I was in, interested how how do you see accountability? And mm. what does balancing or holding intention or holding in tandem or in harmony, an approach that uh, is based upon empowerment mm. with accountability? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, so is a, is a little um, narrative just to sort of illustrate that accountability that we all need. Um, so. A few years ago, I was um, decided to get fit, and uh, I uh, employed a lovely lady, Daisy, who was a fitness coach, and uh, she put me through hell. Uh, <laughs> and obviously, I've not kept it up, <laughs> but I was pretty fit uh, for a while. Um, Daisy was way fitter than me and could lift way heavier weights than me. Um, and she'd go to America and win these awards for uh, not bodybuilding and stuff, but whatever, being athletic or whatever it is. And, uh, um, and we were just talking and she said, right, okay, Gwen, right, that's it. So I've got to put my... I've got to do my sessions now. So uh, well, uh, if I don't do my sessions now, my dad will kill me. And I said, I said, your dad? He says, yeah, my dad's a coach. I went, right? And I went, what, well, what do you mean? He says, your dad coaches you. She went, yeah. Uh, and I was like, but you're telling me what to eat. You're telling me what exercises to do. You know everything. Why do you need a coach? And she said, everybody needs a coach. Uh, look at the Olympic athletes. They've all got coaches, right? They, they, they all know exactly what to do, but they've all got coaches. Uh, and for me, that's accountability. That's empowering accountability. Everybody needs, wants to be held accountable. And that's not like, I know, 
some people might think that the phrase being held to account is a, uh, uh, maybe we need a better phrase than that. I don't know, but, but I, I don't have a problem with it. I want to be held to account. When I say I'm going to do something, I want, I, I, I want to feel that pressure of doing it. Otherwise I'll just tend to doing the easiest things and getting away with it. Um, so, so for me, accountability looks like great coaching or me- coaching, mentoring, whatever you want to call it. I know there's like, everybody thinks there's differences and stuff like that. I don't really care. It's just like, what did you say you were going to do, Ellie? Right. Where are you now? You know, you can even mm-hmm. get AI to coach you nowadays, can't you? Uh, uh, I ask you really incisive questions and it's like, until you, 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 you actually start doing what they say until you realize that it's a robot. I don't have to even listen to this robot anymore. <laughs> but everybody yeah, totally. needs a coach. Every, uh, the, 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 the most, the, the best performing athletes need a coach, even though they know exactly what mm. to do. Dear listeners, if you're finding this discussion stimulating and you'd like to be able to easily refer back to and remember some of the most valuable takeaways from our discussion, why not consider becoming a patron of the ERRR podcast? Patrons are listeners who contribute a monthly donation to support the ongoing production of the show and, in return, receive a summary each month of the key takeaways from the episode. Patrons also receive access to an interactive transcript of each episode, meaning that if you'd like to listen back to a specific part of the episode, you can simply do a word search for a key term, then be taken directly to the spot within the podcast and listen back at the convenient click of a button. This month's summary will include... Gwyn's metaphor of how scale breaks things, how Gwyn identified that leadership was broken at XP, the two types of leadership styles that Gwyn sees in the world, things to look for when trying to determine whether an act was made based upon malice or stupidity, which relates to the idea of Hanlon's razor as well, the relationship between coachability and attitude of a staff member, the idea of ruinous empathy, systematizing processes when it's worth it and when it isn't, the crucial role of vigilance and much more. At higher tiers, ERRR supporters also have access to our members-only podcast with special insights in episodes that go beyond the standard ERRR, clip requests of your favorite episode segments, and even the opportunity to personally connect with me to discuss teaching and learning. So if you'd like an actionable summary of this episode of the ERRR podcast and to explore additional benefits such as the members-only podcast, and if you'd like to support the ongoing production of the show, simply go to patreon.com forward slash ERRR and sign up to support the show for as little as the price of a cup of coffee per month. That's patreon.com forward slash ERRR to support the show and help to keep it sustainable for the long term. Now, let's jump straight back into this episode of the ERRR podcast. Okay, great. So that's that. That's a, the framework of accountability. It's not being you see it is not being held to account to some externally imposed kind of framework. It's being held to account to what you yourself have committed to. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, and I think that's a really empowering way of seeing it. Um, in addition to that, you know, there are certain things and approaches, like for example, at XP someone needs to be held accountable to doing the project themselves, I would imagine, in line with, with Jeff's work and his, um, his principles of, of effective, you know, project-based learning. And so how, how do you see that kind of accountability with kind of broader systems goals or systems processes as well? Oh, well, 
we're we're really fascist about that, Ollie. Like you know, out of in some things, we're really, really, really tight about it, right? So uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, Andy Sprites did a podcast recently with uh, Alec Patton from High Tech High about this, and you're going to laugh because we call it Jeff's Law, uh, named after uh, Jeff Robin. Right, and Jeff is the last person that who would want a law named after him. But basically, what was happening is that um, uh, teachers started as we were going through the first few years. I think this happened uh, end of the second year, beginning of the third year. I think um, teachers weren't planning expeditions as rigorously as they were at the beginning. So mm-hmm. when you've not done something before, you you work really hard to try and solve the problems, and you do that. And then when you get comfortable, you go, "Ah, oh, I'll be right. It'll be right." Uh, well, you know, and you start falling on your tendencies, doing the easiest thing and not the hard thing. And we were like, uh, "So what are you going to do?" Well, we're going to do something like this, and we're like, "So have you created the product first? Ah, oh, we'll, we'll, or, or here's one I did before, you know, uh, uh, th- th- that kind of thing. And I, I'm, I lost it. I, I was literally like, I, I remember the moment as we sat in, we could all fit in a room, right? Uh, and I sat in the room and I said, you, you all said that this is what you would do. You all said that, that you committed to this, that you would do this and you haven't. And you've all one to one, eyeball to eyeball, said that you would do this, and you have not. And I said, that makes my role untenable. And I said, Phew, God, remembering it now. I said, I said, like I'm not here to play school. We we want to make the best school in the world. So we either do it or we don't. And if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But I'm I'm out. Phew. I said that, and I got I got a bit of grief off some of them uh, who thought I was a bit unfair. But there were tears, and they said with uh, with others, and they said we think we've let you down. Going, I'm like, you don't let me down. It's not me. I'm not doing your expedition. Uh, and we, as a reflection, we went, well, we need a law about this, don't we? And we call it Jeff's law, and it's do the project first. It's assign one leader to the expedition, not two. Uh, one leader. Um, it's uh, p- plan at least detail plan at least the first week of your expedition, um, and then there were there were a, a couple of other what people might call non-negotiables. Yeah, we're and 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 Andy looks out over that and looks after that. And basically, the law is if you don't have these things done, you can't start teaching the expedition. We won't let you. We'd rather you just teach. Do, do the kids just play tiddlywinks until uh, until the uh, teachers have planned it? Do you have tiddlywinks mm. in Australia, Ali? I honestly, I've heard people say that. I have no idea what tiddlywinks is. What is tiddlywinks? <laughs> <laughs> that a check. Uh, Google it. <laughs> it's like, it's sort of a bit like marbles. Do you have marbles? They're like but with counters. Yeah, yeah. It's tiddlywinks Little... where there's like counters and you like press them and then they jump or something That's like a... that. That's yeah, it, okay. Tiddly Winks, yeah. yeah. Might as well do I that. I think I might have played with, played with my dad when I was a kid, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
now, you know, and, and then over the, over the years, you know, that's got a little bit loose. We need to get tighter on that. And then the other way around the end of the next edition, there's something called Toby's Law. Uh, then there's a little story about that, uh, which is, and our first expedition, uh, we created a book and all the kids worked really hard on it and we got it printed and we were so proud and the parents were there and we'd missed one page out. We missed one kid's workout somehow, no idea how. Uh, and we ended up putting a little cover around the book to, so that we could include Toby's uh, work and we called that Toby's Law. So we've got Jeff's Law at the beginning of an expedition and Toby's Law at the end. Uh, and so we, we have all the foundations, uh, and, and, you know, that they, they need, they need to be tightened up right mm. now. Um, but, you know, visitors who come to see us will still see the same thing, uh, because the foundations work really well. Uh, I, I want to say where, where we are right now, I, I, I've got a, quite a good metaphor for it because I've just, my house, um, a, a little thing failed on it on our house. We've got flat roofs, and I know when we built it, uh, the builder when the builder was building, it, he went. The architects told me to put this like little sheet of plastic down. I'm like, that's not gonna, that's not even waterproof. That's not gonna help help anything. So we didn't put it in, and that little sheet of plastic's got something called a vapor barrier. I didn't know, and apparently, vape water vapor can go up through the roof. And then when it hits the underside of the roof and it hits the cold, it turns back into water. So over 10 years, our roofs have just rotted. Um, and and, and that, that, that's not quite the metaphor because the, the metaphor is this. So you've got to repair the roof. So you've got to rip the roof off. And in England, it rains. So when you rip a roof off and it rains, there's going to be collateral damage. Water's going to get in. But you don't repair the drips. You don't repair the water. You, you repair the roof. Um, so, so that's what that's what we're doing. We're 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 going back to first principles, repairing the roof, and eventually we'll have everything, uh, everything all tidied up. Um, mm. yeah. So, where are you starting with that? What what's the um, what's the plan? <laughs> well, finance was the first. Thing. So it was, you know, uh, we were our budget, and again, it's uh, it, this. This might sound scary, but it's a budget, so it's the future. Uh, so our budget said that we were going to run out of money in this June. We were going to run out of money. Uh, so we, when I took back, took on finance again, that's the first thing that I needed to fix. Um, uh, and that, that was tough. Uh, we, we, so we had to do a staffing restructure, uh, and that damages relationships. And so, but you still have to do a staffing restructure. You still have to, uh, have enough money to run your schools, uh, cause we were overstaffed. Uh, I, I call it, I call it, we got fat. You know, it's like, it's, uh, fat Elvis in, in Vegas. That's where, that's where we got to. And we need, uh, we need rockabilly. Uh, Elvis back. That's what we need. You know, the three piece, the tight three piece. Uh, and we're not there yet. Uh, but, but we're not going to run out of money in June. 
you know, we're, we're financially sustainable. That's the first thing that we need to do. Then we need to get professional core practices in place. So line management was not clear. So if line management isn't clear, accountability is not clear. And if accountability is not clear, leadership's not clear. Uh, so we have to do the things in the right order, you know, repair the roof, repair the drips, uh, that kind of thing. Um, uh, we actually call those things smoothly unfolding sequences uh, from uh, work by Christopher Alexander, uh, a architect who died a few couple of years ago. And I was speaking to the uh, Christopher Alexander's software developer, Greg Bryant, uh, and um, well, I'm talking to. I was listening to him, and uh, I uh, connected to him via Twitter. And because I've been writing down numbered lists for years <laughs> and trying to work out the order of things, and that's all it is: smoothly unfolding sequences. We all do things. We all think. We all make things happen. How cognizant are we in terms of the order in which we do them? And when when you are, you can then figure out. Uh, the most impactful way of doing things and do it that way. Uh, so you, you really, you can really reduce your energy by looking at the order in which you solve problems too. And, and Greg calls it smoothly unfolding sequences. Um, mm. uh, yeah. So, so that, that's where we're at. That's where I'm at is I'm basically rebuilding leadership from, uh, not the ground up. From the roof down, <laughs> um, and you know I've got great relationships with uh, our head teachers now. Doing purposeful work, we've done tough work. Uh, you know we've made hard decisions together, uh, and you know I, I just try and be as authentic as I can. Uh, you know when I when we commit to doing something, we'll I'll commit to it. Whether I think it's the right, well, the right way or the wrong way. Our language is so binary, right? It's, is it right or is it wrong? Were you successful? Were you a failure? When actually, there's no such thing as just um, measures of quality. Um, so, like, uh, it's not about being right. It's so I find it is because I understand that, or I hold that dear to myself. I hold the design process dear to myself. When I commit to the design process, I always come out with something better. So even when I don't think it's the best decision, if it's our decision, it's the best decision right now. So we'll do that, and then we can always come back to it and review it. Yeah, So, and I'd sort of like to talk about what broke and scale and how it broke. I know, I know we had a big conversation, didn't we, when you were at our school, but I could summarize a few of those things. I don't think I talked about that. And the other one, did I? No, no, not at all. Please, please, that'd be great. Okay, so one of our sayings is really simple, that scale breaks things. So getting bigger breaks things. And and when we created our school, the, the, we were warned of this. It said that it was, it, it gets hard when you can't fit in the room, right? So we talked to people who'd created schools from scratch. And, uh, you know, it's really intense. And sometimes that intensity is too much for people, and sometimes it's a it's a real bonding. Like we were really lucky at XP, where uh, all the uh, pioneering teachers are still with us. Um, 
we we look slightly different because <laughs> it's ten years ago, almost. Uh, but that that we were really lucky with our pioneering teachers. Um, uh, Ron Berger from Expeditionary Learning tells me that most times half of the uh, pioneering faculty leave in the first year because it's really tough. Um, but that people did warn us. They said it gets harder when you can't fit in the room, and we were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." Cocky, arrogant. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we, we won't suffer that. We'll be fine because our culture's too strong. Um, um, and the the way I show this, how scale breaks, is through a balloon. Um, so you'll have to imagine this. But um, say you blow a balloon up a little bit. And you put some circles to signify the people that you start the journey with, and then you get bigger. So you blow the balloon up a little bit more, and then let's say in the second year, let's put some squares to signify the people who join you because they've not been on the same journey as you yet. And then you blow the balloon up a bit more, and you put triangles, right? So the that signifies some of the problems. So some of the problems is that you're always bringing in new people into your culture, and the and the the mistake or the the risk that most people make uh, is that you assume that everybody who comes into your culture is totally assimilated in the, exactly the same way as those who started with you, which is preposterous. Just don't happen, but most people believe. But that's how things work because our culture is so strong. Um, but the more fundamental thing that scale breaks is the connection and the relationships between people. So if you imagine the balloon and you look, say you, you, um, the, you start off as a circle and you look out from the circle and the balloon and it blows up, what you'll see is everybody the, the other shapes moving away from you, yeah, and that's what happens is that not just people but concepts move away from you, so as you get bigger, conceptual understanding quality of communication and conceptual understanding get worse. those two really fundamental measures of the quality of an organization get worse um there were loads of other things that scale breaks or makes worse so communication shared conceptual understanding responsibility and uh, so it, it, here's a really good example um primary school if you're a primary school teacher you teach 30 kids yeah you teach the same 30 kids every single day that's why i can't do it it's too hard for me right uh you'll teach the same 30 kids every single day if there is a problem in your class on Monday, there will be a problem in your class on Tuesday unless you solve that problem or start to solve that problem. It will get worse and worse and worse. Cascading consequences, you see those things in front of your eyes. A little thing turn into a bigger thing and into a bigger thing into a bigger thing unless you're, unless you're blotting that out. Secondary school teacher, you can get through a lesson. You can get through an hour lesson and then it's someone else's problem, right? And and these aren't bad people. These are really good, hardworking people. But but responsibility is broken. Yeah. At primary school, the crew leader is normally the t the teacher. Yeah. So problem in your crew, 
you'll have a problem in your class. At secondary, the crew leader is very often not your teacher. Very often you have more than one teacher. Um, so problem in your crew? Well, I'll pick it up tomorrow in crew, you know. Uh, if crew's only 45 minutes, you can get through it. So, re so responsibility breaks and stretches as you scale. Um, and then the sort of more abstract one is accountability. Um, and you sort of touched, it, touched that about accountability structures. That often the accountability structures are so out of touch with the people who are next to the kids. They don't even make sense. So you people just game the system or they put different numbers into spreadsheets to so that they don't get questioned. So accountability breaks too. Um, and, and so to fix those problems, you say, well, first of all, the, the first element is to identify what breaks. Quality of, com quality of communication, quality of shared conceptual understanding, uh, relate, uh, responsibility and accountability. Those things break or get worse or get eroded. Um, so then you can figure out a mitigation. And the, the, the I, I was trying to figure out this problem. How do we mitigate those, those things? And, uh, so I'll tell you how most organizations try and fix those problems. So most organizations are, are hierarchical in structure. Yeah. But even a shallow hierarchy, it's still a hierarchy and it's not a bad thing. I was, I, I thought hierarchy was bad, but actually it allows people to uh, learn how to lead. Um, uh, so what, what, what happens is that at the top of the hierarchy, you'd hope that the understanding of an organization, oh, look at that, hearts, <laughs> the understanding of an organization, um, is strongest at the top, right? Yet at the top of an organization, you have the least amount of impact uh, with the kids. Uh, so you need that shared conceptual understanding with the people who are next to the kids, the teachers or the teaching assistants. So how do most organizations do that? They cascade it. So the CEO tells the head who tells the head of year who tells the head of subject, who tells the teacher, who tells the kid. Well, that doesn't happen, does it? Or it erodes. It, the, the erosion of that message is inevitable. It's really, really, really ineffective to the point of it being almost zero. Um, so most schools default to the, the quality of the teacher. So to improve, improve schools, if you improve the quality of the teacher, that, that would have the biggest impact. And, I, and I'm sure Hattie and William and everybody would agree with that. But, um, leaders can make teachers better or their role, the role of leaders is to make the quality of teaching better. But if we're just cascading leadership throughout a hierarchy, it's really, um, uh, ineffective. And, and when I saw this and looked at this and realized the solution, I literally burst into tears because I couldn't believe how stupid I'd been. I felt, I felt stupid. I felt so stupid when I realized the, what the answer to this was. 
And I should have been listening to those people who said, it gets harder when you can't fit in the room. And the solution is to get the right people in the room. And the right people isn't, like if I'm the CEO, I can get all the heads in the room. And, and, and I do that for certain things, yeah? But that's not the way to affect a teacher. So we call these action research case studies arcs, and we take a branch, a root of the hierarchical tree and get all those people in the same room. So we have the CEO, we have the head, we have the head of year, we have the subject lead, and we have the teacher. And we just make sure all those people are on the same page. They have the same consensus as to what to do. Here's, here's a problem. Let's get together. Let's solve that problem. And the consequence of that is that along that branch, that, that conceptual understanding is stronger, uh, and everyone's on the same page. And so the cascading consequence of that is that the head of year knows exactly what to do when they're talking to the other subject leaders is that the subject leader knows exactly what to do when they're talking to the other teachers. Uh, so the head uh, knows exactly what to do when they're talking to their heads of year. Um, and some people say, when you're the CEO, you don't have time to do this. And I say to them, what's my job? My job is to increase the quality of communication and the quality of shared conceptual understanding in my organization. If everyone knows exactly what to do, and they turn up every day and do exactly what they should be doing. I'm not needed. No leadership's needed. Um, and so that's, that's my job and that's what we do. Or that's what we're doing. And it's spectacular when you see it, Ollie. I, I, like people walk out of that room expecting a bollocking, if you know what I mean. They expected to have their uh, chops busted and they walk out buzzing because we all create a consensus. We, we, we don't have to agree that it's the right thing, the, the best thing. We create a consensus. And when we walk out that door, we commit 100% to doing what we said we would do. Uh, teachers have a voice. Uh, teaching assistants have a voice. We find out where the misconceptions are, and we blat them. Uh, and that's what we're doing. Um, and it, it takes time. Uh, that's that's what we're doing, and that's how we. That that's I think that's the only way you can mitigate scale. So last time we chatted, and one of the things I really loved about that discussion is is very similar to to what I've been loving about today's discussion. Just that you have this amazing ability to distill principles and formulate them in a really catchy and memorable and clear and elegant way. Right. So last, this time, both this time and last time, you've spoken about the idea of, uh, you know, empowering versus wielding power, the value and the importance of shared conceptual understanding, um, the idea of smoothly unfolding sequences and, and um, codifying processes that are important. Uh, last time, you also talked about, you know, setting up the idea of setting up cycles, managing distractions, you know, getting organized with lists and things like that. Coming into today's, into today's discussion, after your sort of email um, in which you said to me, you know, we could talk about how we built one of the best schools in the world, how it broke and, and how we are fixing it. I actually expected you to come, come along and say, I told you these things last time, uh, but actually 
you know, I was wrong about X, Y, Z, and this is what I see differently now. And you've you've done that in a few ways. You've you've talked a little bit about um, you know, how different views about hierarchy and some slightly different views about accountability and things like that. But broadly speaking, I would say there is much more overlap between my understanding of your thinking now and 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 your prior 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 thoughts about these issues of leading. Uh, you know, world-leading schools and so on, then there is difference. So I'm really curious, like, what do you think you are doing or are going to do that's fundamentally different this time that's going to be the active ingredients that means that, you know, when we next catch up and um, and have a beer, when, when I hopefully hmm. make it over your side of the world in, in you know, mid next year or even late next year or the year after, um, oh, that you're saying, you know, XP, the trust is really humming. What are the critical yeah. active ingredients that are different or going to be different? I'm going to be incredibly vigilant. Um, I'm going to be incredibly uh, tough and hold my line and hold the courage of my convictions uh, while still having an open mind. But but what what... What I did before, the mistake I made before was I'd show people what I was doing. I'd just show them. So, well, this is how I do it, you know. This is how I ran a company, built a, uh, my house and built a school in the same year. This is how I did it. Um, but now I'm teaching it. I'm teaching how to do those things. This is the, my role is uh, as a teacher. Um to teach heads how to run schools, to teach uh, heads of year how to run uh, uh, run their year. Um, I'm not just showing them. Um, I'm certainly not telling them. I mean, we've got you know one of the th one one of the things is that uh, one of the tells is that you, you you find people talking about things a lot but can't show things a lot a lot of the time. That's a that's a real part of rigor is we move from a we're talking about this to we're showing this to each other um but yeah um something happened that was not very nice uh to our organization and we didn't see it coming um and and and, and that created a lot of separation uh so we we're, we're putting that back and because you know it's like you know you've got to get the scars you know to uh to learn from things so we will never let that happen again because we're really really vigilant about it we know what it looks like um uh, we we make that a fundamental part of our uh organization um you know our head teachers weren't being invited to our directors' meetings, for instance. Um, now, you know, my last performance management uh, meeting, I had directors, I had the heads, I had I had a head, I had a teacher, and I had a, a teaching assistant uh, um, holding me to account in my performance management. So it was about putting everybody back together um and not allowing separation we weren't looking for separation uh we weren't going ah oh, that's making us separate we need to fix that we we were just trusting people um so i think 
being vigilant about it, uh, being really, um, you know, the, first, the most important thing is the most important thing. So going back to first principles, is it there? Make sure that's in place and then it doesn't go away. Um, uh, I think that those are all really different things um, that, that we've that we done. You know, we when, when you build a school from scratch uh, and you start it from sitting in a field in Wales and climbing a mountain together, you form really great bonds and then you just assume that everybody else gets assimilated into this amazing world and they don't. Um, and we have to be really vigilant about where we see the telltales signs and we need to empower people to be able to call it out and hold people to account. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's very cultural. It's a very, in, in England, I don't know about in other countries, uh, maybe not Holland or any, uh, you know, uh, but in, but in England, there's loads of, um, like um, phrases like, well, I didn't really like to say, or it's not my place, or I don't want to stand on anyone's toes. And, you know, I, I, our world is constructed to allow bullshitters to bullshit. Um, and I'm not having it. <laughs> uh, you know, I've gone through that, and we're, we are getting rid of that systematically, step by step, um, in the right order. And, you know, that will result in XP getting great academic performance. Right now, our, our, I, I want to talk about that. Like our academic performance is not, it's, it's not good at all. Um, it's not that our kids aren't getting what they need. I, you know, both my kids went through our school and, uh, and, you know, Jack's at university, Dylan's doing his A-levels. All our kids get what they need to do to get onto the next level. But we weren't pushing them hard enough to to get them better results. And we can argue about whether a se- how, how much better a seven is than a six. But I'm not bothered about that. What I'm bothered about is that when people see that our academic results aren't great, they'll, they'll immediately say, ah, oh, that's because they're progressive. That's because they do expeditionary learning. That's it's not. It's because our leadership failed. It's because we didn't have a great maths teacher. You know, it's uh, it, it's it's all the things that could happen to any school, but people will jump on the fact that we do things differently, uh, that we do expeditions and we don't teach. We don't just teach uh, the the facts for kids to be able to. Um, we, we do teach kids facts to pass exams. That's the, this is the thing. We do do that, but we don't just do that. We, we, we try and do more than that. And it's harder because of that. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a lot of absurdity around it. You know, like to, in England, uh, the measures for schools is like one word. I don't know whether you've seen that in Ofsted and the things that are happening here in, in England. Um, uh, and 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 they're also measured on one number as well. Uh, progress eight is one number, and it's like how absurd to measure the quality of a school by one word and one number. But I'm not bothered about that. I'd, I'm not. It, that's not. That's a distraction 
for me. And people can play their absurd games about increasing numbers and stuff like that. Like if we have great leadership, we'll create great teachers and the, and the great teachers will ensure that our kids will get great, great academic performance. If we're not getting great academic performance, there's something wrong. It isn't to do with our pedagogy. It's to do with the quality of our teaching. And, the, and that's what we see. But the, the, there is a leader who's allowing that quality of teaching not to be as high as it should be. And that's what we need to fix. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, uh, um, yeah, that, I'm not getting distracted by that. I could get into an argument about how absurd it is, but I'm not, I'm not interested in it. You know, in our first five years and we got really good academic performance, apart from maths and that maths teacher don't work for us anymore. Um, um, and Spanish, now Spanish teacher does work for us. Um, we, we, we were really proud of that. We, we we're achieving the genius of the end. Now we're not yet, but, but we, we're not letting kids down and, you know, the kids are doing really well and they're, they're, they're going on to, and they're just, they're just getting sixes instead of sevens, you know, it's no big shakes. Like when my Dylan got his results, I said, are you happy with that? And he went, I've got, I can get, I can get into do my A levels. I can do all my A levels. I said, um, uh, so are you, are you okay? Yeah. He said, you got a, yeah, he did really well in his, ex- in most of his exams. Got, a f- got an eight in English literature, but a five in English language. I'm like, oh, that's not quite right. Can we- I think we could get that remarked. And he said, Dad, I don't care. I'm not really not bothered. I, I, I can, I can do my A levels that I want to. So it don't matter. And I'm like, yeah, but the school will look better if you get a six. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, then you fall into that absurdity. Uh, we don't want to play games. I don't want to spend public money on making on remarks, making a number go up. Uh, I, I don't want to kick kids out to make our uh, uh, numbers go up. Um, uh, but I don't want to distract. I don't want to be distracted from the fact that we've we've really got a job to do on increasing uh, the challenge in some of our schools. Some of our schools are doing great, but yeah. Uh, cool. So, thanks, for that Green. So, I, I I asked like, what's the what's the coactive ingredient? And I think that probably the main thing that came out from from that was you were going to say you said like vigilance, like you're going to yeah. be much more vigilant to kind of yeah. hold the line. Um, I was lucky enough to interview Harry Fletcher Wood, and um, like you, he's a big f- fan of systems, and I interviewed him about his book, um, Habits for Success, and he said something like, in the book, it said something like, you know. Motivation is fickle, but habits and systems are robust. All right. So I'm I'm curious in terms of that vigilance. Um, in your mind, what mm. does the systematization of vigilance mm. look like? Like what, like what does a routine of vigilance look like? What are you going to be looking for? Mm. At what frequency? What kind of data are you looking at? That kind of thing. Thank you, because this is another element of our new leadership structure. And we call those things performance narratives. Uh, it's sort of a fancy word for, for numbers, but they're a particular type of number. Um, so I'll give you an example. Most schools would look at a concept. And so they'd look at maths, the performance of maths, or uh, how well SEN is being provided for in school. They'd look at the concept and they'd go, 
oh, maths is taught really well here, or uh, maths needs improving. Here's a concept that needs improving. Uh, like it, it needs to be more planned uh, in sequentially, or it needs to the the curriculum needs to spiral more. Right? They talk about concepts. They don't talk about people. Performance narratives are numbers that connect concepts with people. So rather than saying maths is taught very well, we talk about the quality of our maths teachers is. And we use a rubric, the same rubric as uh, we use kids. We have beginning, developing, secure, and excellence. And if our teachers are secure, uh, our kids are getting the, the, the right um diet um with teachers who aren't secure we must have some plans in place in order to make them secure in order to empower them teach them coach them to be secure um we call them performance narratives uh you can as long as it's it's basically it's any number that that measures the relationship between a concept and a person, whether it's an adult or a kid. Uh, and when you do that... Can you give an example? What, what are those actual numbers? Like what data are you collecting? Yeah, so so we can so we measure the quality of our teachers, our teaching assistants, our crew leaders. And when we say that, the quality of the crew leader, it's the, quali- the quality uh, of Ollie's relationship with being a crew leader. Yeah, How good is Ollie at being a crew leader? That's uh, so we can measure. We have a rubric that says Ali is a secure crew leader if he does X, Y, and Z. Cool. Do you have? Uh, I'm, I'm really curious. Like, what's on that? Like, do you do you have, Can you pull that uh, off? Yeah. So, so it's a crew leader uh, to be secure. You circle up every day. You understand the importance of a circle. You don't square up or squircle. You circle. <laughs> uh, you don't have anything in between the in in between the circle because. Because you understand the purpose of a circle. The purpose of a circle is to feel safe while being vulnerable. And if you have tables and chairs, you, that you don't feel the same as like circling up and being able to look into each other's eyes. That's 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 an element of secure. That you ensure that the kids are prepared for the day. That they're here. You've taken the register. They're prepared for the day, so they're equipped. They're dressed appropriately. Uh, they've got a charged device. Um, you, you, you'll do an appropriate activity and you'll debrief that activity. If you don't debrief activities as a crew leader, you're not secure. Cool. Then, and so, so oh, who, yeah. who, who's assessing that and like on how and on what frequency? Yeah. So, so <laughs> this is a, I'm, I'm going to go into this, right? So, um, most schools will spend a lot of time and energy. Uh, uh, analyzing that and making sure that we're not, um, you know, we're doing that fairly and stuff like that because, you know, we don't want to be judged unfairly. But the quickest way of doing that is just to get asked the head teacher, which of your crew leaders are secure and which of them are not. And the head teacher will be able to do that in five minutes and they would be 85, 90% accurate. And right now, that's good enough. So what we do right now is we, we've literally just asked the head teacher. Or the head, it's the head teacher who needs to know the quality of their crew and the quality of their subject leaders. 
and they 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 can do that off the top of their head in five minutes. Then we write what secure looks like, and we all agree a consensus of what secure looks like. So that improves the quality of their judgment. And then we write the full rubric, uh, so that improves the quality of their judgment uh, again. Um, but we all know the quality of your your the school you work in. You you, you know the quality pretty much. 85, 90% accurate, and it takes you five minutes. Or you can do weekly walkthroughs, or you can do uh, termly book, book looks, or you can do this. Actually asking the kids. So off the top of your head is number one. Asking the kids is number two. Um, but we, we still do reviews and book looks. I'm just, uh, I'm just wary of the efficacy of those, those things. Um, book looks are great. But you don't look at uh, this. Here's something I learned, Ali, from primary. Uh, uh, when we were looking at books, and I went into a primary school, I noticed that they were talking about what those books told them about the quality of the teacher. I, that was curious for me because I was a second. I'm a secondary teacher. When I look at books, I look to see whether the kids answered the question right. Uh, they were looking at the books and they were saying this teacher obviously has high expectations this teacher has rigor around uh handwriting i've i, I can't look at books the same uh, again it's like really obvious like what what you need to do that so sorry coming back to performance narratives is we take measurements for a purpose and that purpose is to improve adult agency nothing else so so while most schools will look at um, the results of kids, academic results of kids, and work out what they've done right and what they've done wrong. We we we'll look at adult uh, the measures that allow us to make decisions to improve adult agency. Well, that's what we're doing. You know, it's not all in place yet, uh, but that's what we're doing. So where we see a lack of adult agency or a weakness in the link between an adult and the co and the concepts, whether it's teaching maths being a crew leader, being a subject lead, uh, where we see a weakness in that, then it's us to be in service to those people, to put in place mitigations to help them improve uh, and mitigate those risks. Um, I can show you various things, but this is, again, a, a knock-on effect of this is, this is this notion of what I'd call bubbling up. Right. So when you look at the data and information, you can get lots of data and information around a school. Yeah. But when people look at data, they always talk about drilling down on the data. And again, high energy, right? Drilling down. Drilling down. I've got to drill down to find out this information at the bottom of this pile of data. Well, when you create performance narratives, which are always connected to an adult or kid, that's where the impact of practice is. And so if you collect data from that point, that data then bubbles up. Um, so if you've got, for instance, attendance, so when you measure attendance, you don't just measure attendance of a school, you, you, that attendance figure is connected to a kid, the attendance of a child. So that, that number can bubble up. Uh, so you can have the attendance of a child, a single child, attendance of a 
a crew or form or tutor group, attendance of a year group, attendance of a school, attendance of the trust, of eight schools. So performance narratives naturally scale, but they can also, you can also follow that down to the individual kid. Um, so we call it bubbling up rather than drilling down. And where, as, as leaders, where we don't see the bubbles is where the problem is. Mm. So where leaders aren't collecting and acting upon data that improves adult agency, that's where we're most vigilant. Mm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm trying to square that. So I'm trying to bring these things together and I'm, I'm, dr- and I'm drilling down. <laughs> I'm drilling down on this because like because I really care about like XP and and about the conversation that we're having now and about the about you know XP continuing to replicate the success that it's had so far um in different areas. Um so you talked then about we've talked about vigilance. You talked about the importance of leadership consistently collecting data. Um, you talked about, you know, using measurements to improve adult agency, which my understanding is like the process you talked about of developing the rubric as a team is that process. It's like helping everyone come to a shared understanding and develop that shared conceptual understanding of what a effective crew leader looks like or something like that. Um, you, you, I may have misinterpreted this, but you have seemed hesitant so far to talk about like, you know, head teachers are going to walk around once a week and check on X, Y, Z to make sure that stuff's happening. Have, have I misinterpreted that or or is that, oh, is that correct? Oh, no, we do that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we, we, we make, you know, we, we want the culture, everything's open, everything's honest, everything's transparent. I mean, I, I, uh, uh, that's just, sorry. Yeah. That's just business as usual for, for us. Um, so, like, I'm sure that when you, uh, you, you'll, you'll see this, like, when you, when you go to uh, some, uh, most schools and you walk in as a visitor, all the kids' heads turn around and go, who's this? Who's, why are they coming into our room? Yet when you walk into the rooms of, uh, schools in XP, they, they, uh, they don't even break, uh, a, a sweat. They don't, uh, they don't, they don't miss a beat because they're used to that. Um, no, absolutely. The culture is, is one of us being open, honest, and transparent, and being able to see everything. Mm. Um, what I'm saying is, is that that systematic approach of doing X, Y, and Z, and looking at. It, I don't have any problem with no. I'm not having it. I want our leaders to look at books. I want our leaders to look at practice. Course the course, absolutely, hundred percent, all the time. Um, um, but when you st- Try and systemize that. Um, it, you tend to create a, a complex um, process that basically sort of is, is built to protect the adults um, rather than help them. Uh, because an adult who's not secure in the teaching needs help right now, not in a terms time when the leaders get together and have a look at the books and decide that blah, 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 blah. They need help right now. And we know who those adults are. And often we don't do anything because we don't, we've not finished the systematic process. Uh, so yeah, it's not a, 
it's it's not one of not doing something. It's do, it's doing something more, doing something that has more impact. So so it's an example, right? We, so we had a uh, there were a, f- a few little behaviour issues bubbling up in one of our year groups, and so um, we th- they the the leaders decided to do some walkthroughs, uh, going into lessons, uh, checking X, Y, and Z, and another leader decided to send out a Google form to the students. And while the leaders saw uh, a, a few things, the students in, well, they sent it out straight away in, in, and the students filled in this form in, the, the, in a crew session. So within 45 minutes, the, the question was like, uh, uh, behavior in, in my history class is excellent. Strongly agree, agree, disagree, strongly disagree, that kind of thing, and I, and the kids told us, and and they we found out from the kids things that the teachers didn't find out because when the teachers go into when leaders go into lessons, behaviour changes. Um, we found out that behaviour in certain certain subjects that surprised us was really good, and we and we found out that behaviour in another subject. Was not good, and that and that was with a really experienced teacher that we would be really surprised that they had a problem with. But that teacher had come from a different school, uh, was was catching kids, was used to catching kids being naughty rather than catching kids being good, and so those kids didn't like their teacher. So we had to reset that um, that relationship, uh, and. Uh, it was the kids who told us that in 45 minutes rather mm-hmm. than looking at books, looking at uh, setting tests, seeing which kids performed better at academic, uh, didn't, didn't perform as well as they should have done and then working out that it was a behavioral problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. So let me, let me um, gently push back on that. Um, so I was, I was prompting like, the systematization of processes. The systematization of processes doesn't mean systematization of processes that other schools use, right? And so mm-hmm. when you when you said then like, oh, we're 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 hesitant to systematize things because sometimes people need help here and now rather than to look at books and for then it to be the next next term or whatever. I guess what I'm um what I'm pushing for is the systematization of the processes that work. So you've just des- described to me like a process that you felt was really effective and insightful. So my question would be, okay, if asking the kids is a high efficacy way of and quick way of working out what, you know, what's actually happening in classrooms and, you know, earlier you said a head teacher can, will be able to say 85, 90% like spot on and at the same time you just told me then that like students in this process told you heaps of stuff that you were like wow we had no idea what was going on so is there a way then to systematize that that process that you now feel like you found something that works why wouldn't you ask students once every four weeks give them that survey and use that yeah and and i I totally agree with you ali and that's where we're at right now is that we've seen that we've seen that work and we have not yet systemized it. Mm. Yeah. We've not yet put that in a smoothly unfolding sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so while we still would do book looks and walkthroughs, they would, they wouldn't be the first thing that we should do. And we, and we haven't systemized that yet. 
uh, I, I haven't got to that piece yet. Um, so like, you know, I fixed finance, I've got to fix professional core practices and, you know, at some point we'll get to that, to fix that. Um, and you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, we have fixed the piece about getting the head teacher's point, uh, point of view. Um, we, we have systemized that. So every, uh, half term we, uh, do a snapshot of where the head teacher thinks they are in all the different aspects of school. Um, uh, that's, that's called the performance narrative. So we've done that, but where there is, uh, or where we perceive there might be an issue, we haven't systemized yet the quick, impactful ways that we can do that. Um, but we'll damn, damn well, we'll get to that point. Mm, right. And we will, and we will do that and we'll show the efficacy of it and we'll show where there are risks because, you know, uh, a reason why, uh, teachers don't ask, just ask the kids all the time what's going on is, is because that's not, it's like, that's not what adults do. Uh, and, and why, you know, we don't want to treat adults unfairly and all this other stuff. And, you know, w w well, that's just what the kids think and the kids can lie and stuff like that. Well, adults lie too. Uh, you know, but it's, I th it's certainly, something that I would do straight away that will raise a flag, uh, not necessarily be the diagnosis, but it would raise flags where we could then have a look at more deeply. Uh, mm. And we have not systemized that yet. Mm. Uh, so I absolutely agree with you, Ollie. That's work, that's work to do, and I look yeah, forward cool. to it. Got it. That's great. And so I guess what I'm potentially seeing in, in line with that is, so you've talked about these half-term narratives that the head teachers share which is obviously uh, a move forwards from the kind of separation that you highlighted earlier where perhaps they weren't even feeding back into and so you've created that mechanism and then the next step as you've articulated is for each of the things that they're reporting on transitioning from like a tell me to a show me right so that they're actually yeah. substantiating everything that they're saying based upon some sort of data so so so, so to delve into that like what are what are some of the things that and th this leads into the this is very related to the other question that I that you were hinting at then already and that I was really keen to ask which is like what have you not yet figured out that you still mm. need to figure out and that relates to the question of like what are the what are the head teachers reporting on um or what do you want them to report on so that you do have data uh, slash narratives that are going to give you a full picture to enable you to continue to be vigilant in a way that's going to drive the school forwards positively. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's it's an interesting answer. Uh, well, uh, in interesting to answer because I, I sort of like don't want to say. Uh, I don't want to even guess uh, because. Um, I want the process to work that one out for us. Um, the, the, the best way of solving a lot of problems is to allow them to emerge rather than second guess. Because uh, often you try and solve the whole problem when you want to, you want to solve the, the, the first part of the problem first. 
and then see what you're left with and then work out the next part of that. Um, I mean, I can, I can give you examples of what we've done. Uh, so the first element of, you know, we're, we're, we're solving this problem iteratively is sort of what I'm saying. So like the first performance narrative of our curriculum was that, uh, our, uh, crew curriculum is in place and we can see it. And our expedition curriculum is in place and we can see it. That was the, that was the first iteration we did. We were just like, let's see if we, those things can be shown. And it was like, yes, it's in place. And then we go, oh, okay, but is it of quality? Uh, and how would we measure that quality? Uh, so, so then we figure out what measurement we would take from that. Uh, and then, uh, someone very rightly said, well, what about subject integrity? <laughs> is that, is that in place? Like just because expeditions are in place doesn't mean to say that we're teaching the subjects really, really well. And we need to do that as well. Um, so, so we say, right. And what we, in, in order for subject integrity to be in place, we need, we need standards maps, progress maps, um, uh, you know, uh, um, and, and spiral, see where we're spiraling on these standards and how deeply we're hitting these standards. Um, so, Again, that's something that we're figuring out. And while I can give you those, give you those examples, my, my nature is to not second guess that and to, um, uh, allow those things to em emerge, uh, as we go through things iteratively. Mm. This, this is why I've, it's scary, right? This is vulnerability. Yeah. You've, it's, it's like I, you're asking me, I, I could give you an answer. That I think it might be, but I, it's like, I don't want to, I want to, I want to feel vulnerable. I want to not know in order to feel the, 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 the most effective answer. And it's, it's really scary. Um, I keep doing it to myself. It's like, it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'll ask the question a different way. The, the next, the next meeting you have with the team who is tasked with working out what the next priority is of things to work out and then eventually systematize. What are you going to do in that? How are you going to run that meeting to ensure that the right problem emerges um, and then to, and then to address it? Yeah, great. And uh, basically it comes to adult agency. So it's basically the question we asked us, is this information allowing us to make decisions around improving adult agency? My God, that cuts out so much noise. Uh, you know, when, if you ever work with people who can produce data, I can produce you as much data as you want in any way. Here's a graph. Here's a graph. Here's a graph. Here's a pie chart. Here's a scatter graph. Here's this. Here's that. Here's the other. Like, I just want to know, like, how can I improve this person's practice if it needs improving? Uh, so, so that's the, that's the question that we ask all the time is, is the information that we're looking at allowing us to make high quality decisions? in terms of improving adult agency. Um, and, and, and so that's, that's, that's the guiding question. We look at what we've got, uh, we review what we've got, and then we say, what do we think we need? And then we'll find that information and present it and say, does this get, get us any closer to the solution or not? Is there something else that we might want to look at? Um, 
yeah, so that's that's what we do, and we do that from directors uh, in our director-led committees. So we've done our, we've done the first iteration. Is this this is what we need to see? Is this telling us what we need to know in order to improve the quality of our schools? Does that answer your question, Ali, or not? You can you can kind tell of, me. I'm kind of I was like you you talked a bit about the general process. Um, like I'm wondering like. Next, you said you said we'll look at some look at some stuff and decide whether it helps us to improve adult agency. I think I think a lot of listeners will kind of be wondering exactly what that looks like in concrete terms. So, like, what are you going to look at, and what would it be? Any like, yeah, like, and what what would it be a an example of a way of addressing that that improves adult agency versus the way that doesn't? Yeah. Okay. So so again, we we start from the principle that everything's structured hierarchically so we start off with our design principles at xp we build our community through activism leadership and equity sharing our stories as we go that creates five things and then under those five things we align all the functions of all our uh, all our schools so under building our community we've got that that's operational stuff so we've got finance legal compliance uh hr stewardship uh, and we, for each of those, ex- we call them executive functions. For each of those executive functions, we come up with a performance narrative. So when we're thinking about which things are we measuring, we measure in our design principles and then the executive functions underneath our design principles. And I can share you that grid, uh, uh, so that you can see that, that that covers everything that we do. So under activism, it's about, it's our curriculum. So, uh, 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 what are the things that we do? Uh, 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 so we do crew, expeditions, teach subjects, uh, um, equitable, social equity, that kind of thing. Uh, so for each one of those things, we come up with a performance narrative. So the first one is, are we doing it or are we not? And the second thing is, is it of quality or is it not? Uh, who's Who's doing, who's responsible for that? Who's doing that? How can we improve uh, what they're doing? So it's pretty much that. Cool. And you just progressive. So basically you've got every function and aspect of the school mapped out under these five areas and you're just going yes. through them and you started with finance. Like, are we doing it? Is it working? Is it broken? What can, what are the indicators of that? And how can we, how can we fix or, or improve anything? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. What are, you, what are you up to? Which function or which executive function are you up to? Uh, well, we've got a we've we've got we've done the first iteration of all of them, um, but they're not uh, um, you know they're not down to the the last iteration if you know what I mean. So it's like the first iteration was is the is a crew curriculum in place? Uh, yes, it is. Here it is. Um, uh, the next iteration is and and what's the quality of it and who's responsible for it? Um, uh, so that's, that's really where, where, where we're at, uh, in terms of that, that piece. Well, while the business as usual stuff is going on, you know, there's still people doing developing crew and crew curriculum and stuff like that. The performance narrative is there. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of my drive, it was finance first and then professional core practices. So, uh, do we have all the practices in place to lead, uh, schools effectively and right now we do not uh we've 
We've da- we're down to we've we've right now we've got clarity over line management. Uh, we do not yet have clarity over uh, accountability of different roles. Um, and until we've got that and got that written down, uh, we're not going to move on, or I'm not going to move on to anything else. Mm, so, I mean, I would have thought so. Line management and accountability go hand in hand because the line manager is the accountable built person they're accountable to. But yeah. in terms of accountability, isn't that clear? You mean in terms of like what people in different roles should be doing? Is yeah. that what you mean by you haven't got accountability nailed down? Yeah. So, so line management, we've got uh, clarity over. Like, if you go into any organization, some most organizations won't be a hundred percent clear on who their line manager is. Uh, uh, not you know most people will, but th- there won't be a hundred percent clarity around that um, because people move and do different roles. Uh, the, the 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 where we've what where we've not got what we're doing next is what, what I call accountability leads. So you might have a line manager, Ollie, who might be your subject leader or your head of year, but you might have a different role across. The school, for instance, you might do, uh, well, I'm an instructional lead as well, uh, for X, Y, and Z, or you might have more than one role and, and therefore, uh, your line manager may not hold you to account for all those different roles. So we have, we have people who, uh, are line managed, uh, but do a role across the trust, for instance, uh, and we haven't got that absolute 100% clarity yet of who's holding them to account because and and but when we do and it won't be won't take long but when we do we can then say okay and how much time is your accountability lead spending with you mm-hmm. because again people don't realize that a lot of people don't realize that if you lead in something you've got to spend time on it uh, a lot of people think and think that they're leading something when they are in charge of something, or I run this, or I'm in charge of this, and it's going really, really well, uh, but they're not spending time with those people. And if you're not spending time with those people, you're not leading them. Mm. That's great, Green, and I can't wait to chat with you in a, in, a, in, a, in a year or so when, you know, like where we see where this iterative process takes you because it's like highly structured the, the way you're approaching it. And, um, yeah, I'm super Super interesting to see where that where that goes. Um, is there anything else it would be helpful for us to talk about today? Uh, I, yeah, um, I feel re- I feel really good that I've shared this with you, Ali. Um, it's really tough. It's really hard to hold the courage of your convictions when you've not done it before, um, and. Uh, there's collateral damage, you know, uh, and again, you've got to set yourself aside because it's the work that's really important, not you. Um, you know, I've lost friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I won't stop it. I won't stop the work. I'll keep doing it because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> uh, and it's too important. I think I'm done. <laughs> thank you. Well, Gwyn, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Like I said at the start, and it's become even more clear throughout, like your 
your courage and the openness to come on and, and have a chat about, you know, something that isn't at a point that you'd love it to be at right now. And um, yeah. I just, I've, I've said it twice, but I'll come back to it again. Um, how we built one of the best schools in the world, how it broke and how we are fixing it. I like to come on and talk about that, I think is incredibly brave. And I love the way that you bring things together. I love the way that you kind of distill wisdom into pithy phrases. Uh, I always do a summary of these of every podcast for, for supporters of the podcast. And I was reading back through the last one and it's a completely different format to any other summary I'd done. It was basically structured around your kind of pithy phrases and insights. And this, the summary for this one will be, be the same. And I think that what that does is it creates a fantastic framework uh, and foundation for exactly what you're trying to do at XP, which is build shared conceptual understanding. Um, and so, I, like, I, I thank you for that. And I wish you all the best in continuing this work and in systematizing it even more. And as I said before, I, I, I cannot wait to see uh, where XP is uh, in a year or two. And I, I have no doubt it will be in an even healthier place than it is now. Uh, and I'm really, really excited to see that. Thank you, Ali. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't have done this for anybody else. And I'd, I don't know why. Like, you know, we've only met each other twice. Like, but uh, everything's relational. And there was something when that I saw in you that I trusted in you. Uh, the first time we met, you know, and you said, can we turn this mic on? <laughs> uh and, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this, I felt I could do this, was because of you. So thank you. Thanks, Gwen. That means so much. Hey, all, it's Ollie again. One more thing before you take off, and that is Ed Threads. Would you enjoy a short email every Friday that provides a little fun, a little mental stimulation before the weekend ahead? My weekly free newsletter is super short, easy to sign up, easy to cancel, and it's basically a half page every Friday that shares all the coolest ideas and teaching tips that I've come across that week. It's kind of like my diary of teaching and learning that you get access to for free. I often link to recent papers that have come out, tweets and Twitter threads, important reports, new books, blog articles, and even other important podcasts that have been sent to me by leaders in education, including many guests from this show and that I've discovered from scouring the internet and other sources. I filter these ideas and resources so that you don't have to and only pass on the very best ones to you. So if that sounds like fun, if you'd like a little bit of goodness before you head off each weekend in a concise, quick-to-read format, just go to ollilovell.com forward slash subscribe to get EdThreads. Stop what you're doing right now and sign up before you forget. That's ollilovell.com forward slash subscribe. Thanks for your time in listening today. Have a wonderful week. And until next time, keep learning.